1 Samuel 14 and verse 6. There's so much to read. I, I just had to pick just a couple of verses. And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. For a moment I preach this word, nameless. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for the restoration and drawing power of the Holy Spirit, for the love of God that's in this place. Thank you for the healing that's being provided to the people who have just asked for a healing. Thank you for the saving of the people that have sought to be saved and for the help. Thank you. Help us to captivate our thoughts tonight for a moment. All distractions, I pray, would be put aside from media or cell phones or in and out of the sanctuary. I pray right now, let the saints settle in to hear what you have to say. This is your word. You ordained it and gave it. And let me just deliver it, Lord, as best I can to the congregation of people whom you called and ordained for this moment in this hour, whom you redeemed with your blood. I prayed in Jesus' holy name. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. imagine for a moment there's a small hill, a knoll set on the edge of a long valley it has a steep grade on, on every side on the top of that hill are 20 fully armed men of war they've perched themselves on the high place as all soldiers might do both to protect themselves from unwarranted approaches and then also to see the advancements of their counterparts. Now, look below. There are two men advancing up the side of that steep incline, Jonathan and his armor bearer. They're on their hands and knees climbing up the steep grade. The climb requires that they dig in the dirt to find footing. Jonathan has a sword, though it's decorative. There were only two swords left in all the land. His father had the other one. It's not necessarily for war, but it's a sword nonetheless. The younger man has nothing in his hands. 
He has no weapon, no daggers or spear. He might have a shield, but there's no mention of it. So we cannot assume something that's left empty. Jonathan is a well-known figure. He's the son of the first family, the son of the king. And he is the one equipped with their only weapon. The Bible will mention Jonathan multiple times, many times throughout the Bible. He is renowned for so many reasons, not the least of which was his covenant relationship with David. Though Jonathan will never write a single psalm, perhaps he will study the hand that did. Jonathan is a popular figure with the people of Israel, even more so with the armies of Israel. They loved him. He's joyful and true. He bypasses nonsense. He'll eat honey when the time is right. His attributes are spilled out with words like loyal and faithful and innocent. Jonathan has a tendency to think the best of everyone he's around. Jonathan's brave. He has faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has taken his history to heart and it is working for him. The faith of Jonathan causes him to climb up that nondescript knoll to face down 20 fully armed men. He does not consider the odds, but instead believes that God will work for them. Of course, if truth be told, his statement wasn't even that strong. Jonathan actually said, who knows? Maybe. Maybe God will work for us. Jonathan does not seem heady or high-minded. He's not the arrogant type. He does have a weapon, and I submit that it's a lot easier to attack the enemy when you're fully armed as opposed to having nothing. So if I meet someone who is full of faith and has the tools to match their resolve, they know how to pray, or maybe they've seen miracles in their past with their own eyes, or, or maybe they've, they've been witness to things that had to be God, or maybe they've memorized enough scripture and and can quote it enough that they are confident in their speech and in their prayer, then I assume that it's reasonable for them to say things like Jonathan said, come on, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. There's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. But if you're not equipped, and you don't have the words, and you, you haven't seen the miracles or the visions, and you have no sword, no weapon of war, well then it might mean that something else has to be at work in you to follow. You see, advancing in this life with nothing more than an agreeable spirit sets you in a realm all your own. It positions you in a way that's almost foreign to our day. To be nameless, leaning on the direction of another, serving, supporting You're unknown, unheralded, without applause, and yet still willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. That, ladies and gentlemen, is worth more than anyone can measure. Because the natural thing for us to do is to seek recognition. But the recognition is often the undoing of the good that was just done. The no-name armor bearer is teaching us a lesson in selflessness. It's sore needed today. 
He's preaching a sermon all by himself on how to serve. Move in faith. Be obedient and submissive. He does not consider himself or his well-being. He does not consider his own inability or his ill-equipped measures. He never mentions that he has no sword because he is a servant and he moves at the pleasure of Jonathan. What I'm preaching tonight has a power to position you into a place for which you may be unqualified by the world's standards. But nothing, ladies and gentlemen, is greater than servanthood and no one rises higher than the servant. Namelessness or the nameless is counterculture to Americanism, but nameless is the composition and the constitution of the kingdom of God. I'm hoping to wow you. Not really. Trust me when I, when I say this. I'm not hoping to wow you. I'm hoping to reposition our church so that God can do something that every moment and every turn, he gets all the glory and all the praise. I want us to get into a position where there's so less of us and so more of him. We don't even know if we even matter. <laughs> Consider the biblical narrative when three kings set out to make war against the army of Moab. Joram from Israel had cobbled together his own army, but he's carnal, he's untrue. So he enlists the help of, of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, who is true. Oddly enough, Jehoram seeks out the inclusion of another king, the king of Edom. Three kings with fully equipped armies now, three functional bands of men with support teams and horses and foot soldiers and the like. But after seven days of walking in a circle, they run out of water and they cannot find the enemy, Moab. It's a disaster. To return home empty-handed might be worse than taking a defeat. You see, in defeat, they would at least have proven their courage, but leadership is on the line, so they don't want to go home. They need to be replenished. The, the men are growing weaker by the hour. They need water. And most of all, they need direction. It's obvious that they're walking alone. God has not yet shown up on the scene. And Joram is trying to figure out a way forward. Jehoshaphat finally speaks up and he says in Second Kings chapter 3, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the guys in the back row says, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. Watch the next line. Elisha, who's Elisha? He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. That's the description. There's no mention of Elisha receiving a double portion of anointing. There's no mention of his spiritual sight as he was given the ability to see his, his teacher, Elijah, and the chariot of fire as God carried them away into the heavenlies. No one defined Elisha by the mantle he wore. That was the same mantle worn by Elijah. It was the same mantle which Elisha first used to part the water. When he got it, he parted the water. The Bible says that he used it to part the water and that the water divided to the right and to the left. The significance of Elisha's first miracle was a completeness that no one ever talked about. It remained nameless. Even though it was only the third time in the Bible or in history that water was ever parted. I don't want to journey down the road of numerical meanings of the Bible. But there's many numbers and they have meaning. Six is the number of man. 
But the number three in the Bible is often thought of, of as a divine wholeness. Elijah completed the commencement that began at the Red Sea by Moses when he parted the water and the parting of the Jordan River by Joshua and Elisha was the one who put a capstone on it and he parted the water. And yet, he's simply known as the man who washed the hands of another man. They're talking about washing hands and pouring water from basins. There's no mention of Elisha healing the waters of a broken down city with a new bowl and some salt. A miracle of mystery that astounded the people and all the people far and wide. No, Elisha was introduced as the one who washed the hands of his predecessor. He was introduced as a servant. Here's Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Servanthood was the key that unlocked the door for the rest of Elisha's ministry. Serving, washing hands, things that seem insignificant, negligible, and maybe even trivial. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, Christianity has become culturally cachet. It's even kind of cool to do things for the sake of a cause. People are pursuing a cause. But unlike the unheralded missionaries of days gone by who went to places and did things And no one really knew until they were long gone. They did things in secret without recognition. Unless someone else exposed their great deeds, no one would ever know them. Today, there's a new crowd who chronicle their good deeds through Facebook or Instagram or some other posting. Twitter is filled with good deeds and a selfie. I call them crowd for a cause. The crowd for a cause will dig a well in Haiti and then take a picture of their goodness so that everyone will know what they did and where they did it. You should have just come to Sunday morning service because you don't want me tonight. I can already feel it in the Holy Ghost. I can feel it in the flesh. Gone are the three separate commands of Jesus to do things in secret so that your heavenly Father will reward you openly. The crowd for a cause wants to feel good and make a name for themselves in the process. Being known as a servant has surely fallen on hard times. Nameless has a lot of opposition. You do something and then you post it. You you put on something and then you put it online. You want everyone to know and you are devastated if you don't get enough likes. We are living and dying by the affirmation of people who are not even Christ-like. Nameless. Nobody wants nameless. Nameless has a lot of opposition. Every cell phone is an opposition to nameless. Or it can be. I'm not diminishing the cause. The cause is incredible. The cause is the reason for serving But the cause has been diluted when it's done to make a name for ourselves. The cause suffers when there is an expectation of reward. The cause is hurt when we are desperate for acknowledgement. Individualism is as great an opponent to the cross of Calvary as any demonic spirit. Calvary is about self-sacrifice and loss and humility. And watch this. 
obscurity. I wish you'd put your cell phones down right now and look up at me. I'll say it again because you weren't listening. You're engrossed. I wish you'd put your cell phones down right now and look up at me. Thank you. Oh, oh man, get that evangelist guy up here. He is awesome. We don't want you. Here's what Paul wrote. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. This is where we are today. It's the English word is celebrity. It's derived from the Latin word celebrare or to frequent. And more remotely from the Latin word celer or to hasten. It's the desire to be frequented, to be seen, to be noticed. It's, it's a polar opposite from obscurity. And stunning as it may seem, celebrity had its original roots in immodesty and hypersexuality. To be a celebrity when it was first pinned and coined meant you were immodest and you were hypersexual and you wanted the people to frequently look at you and notice you. Kind of makes sense today. And now we have Pentecostal celebrities. We want to be known. We want to be seen. We want to be noticed. We want a name. But I'm not preaching that today. I'm not preaching New Life Fellowship and the sanctuary and the nice carpet. I'm preaching nameless. It's Jesus. It's Jesus in the morning. It's Jesus when we get to Sunday. It's Jesus when we go on Wednesday. It's Jesus in the evening time. It's the cross of Calvary every day of the week. It's not me. It's not you. It's not our goodness. It's not about the name. It's about Jesus. Listen, had Jonathan drafted a young person who needed to be known, he would have never seen the victory. They would have been engulfed in an argument at the base of the knoll, and they would have been talking about resources, and they'd have been, he'd have been wondering, well, what are you going to call me? Tell me my name, and what am I going to get, and how am I going to get, what am I going to get out of this? Servanthood is the place of the nameless. And if Jonathan would have had an armor pair, who was concerned about individualism or individuality, he'd have never accomplished the victory. Servanthood is a place that's a base. And hear me, everyone. Servants don't have time to preserve their identity or work on it. And we're rich on worship. And we're struggling with servanthood. Servants are not concerned about their image. It doesn't fit in the frame of duty and work and the assignments of it all. Servanthood is the washing of hands, the serving of tables, the doing for others without a thought of recompense or payment. When Paul wrote his description of Jesus Christ to the church in Philippi, there was ample evidence that it was more than just hyperbole. Paul wrote this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. An attitude. An attitude. Who? Jesus. Being in the form of God. 
thought it not robbery, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made the likeness of men. When Jesus came, he came and made himself of no reputation and he became a servant. When Jesus healed the leper, think of it, in Matthew 8 and 4, he told the leper, see thou tell no man, go thy way. Just shh. He's not trying to make a name for himself. That was from above. The man Christ Jesus, watch this, was going to let the Father give him the name. Name building was not in the plan of the man Christ Jesus. I hope you can get this. God was going to provide the name. The eternal spirit was going to give the man the name. So when Jesus healed the man in Mark chapter 7 who was deaf and could not speak, the Bible says that Jesus took him aside and charged him and those watching that they should tell no man. And it did not end there. The daughter of Jairus was dead, the Bible says. They all knew it. The mourners had all, been, had all come in. And then the Lord, when Jesus had kicked out all those doubters, he spoke to the little girl. Talitha Kumai, which being interpreted, daughter, I say unto thee, rise. He brought her back to life. Here's the word in Luke 8, 56. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Peter had a revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And the Lord commended him for that. But after the Lord said, thou art Peter, I'm the rock, I'm going to build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Jesus cautioned all of them. The Bible says that he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Christ. There's so much evidence of it. The Bible is replete with the divine purpose of the hidden Christ. Consider the Mount of Transfiguration. It held the wonder of the afterlife and the future, all of it in a single moment. Jesus was glowing. The Bible says, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. But the Lord told all of them not to say anything about it. In fact, in Mark 9 and 9 and verse 9 and 10, this is what the Lord said. As they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. And they kept saying with themselves, questioning one another, what the rising from the dead should mean they didn't even know what he was talking about Jesus kept hiding himself nameless until his time came he offered lessons that now fly in the face of our current culture of getting ahead and being the best Jesus said the first shall be last and the last shall be first and whoever is going to be your leader let him be the servant of all he was constantly teaching his disciples about serving he made himself of no reputation. He could have made himself anything that he wanted, but he was showing his disciples, I've got to be nameless and I want you to be nameless until the day that I'm revealed. I keep hearing people say to other folks, be yourself. God forbid that you ever try to be yourself. What are you talking about? You want to be yourself? Don't trust yourself. You need to be like Jesus. Uh. There's entire campaigns that say you're one of one. 
That's individualism. That's the selfie culture. That's the selfie generation. But Paul said he was hid in Christ. God, the eternal spirit, the omniscient was hid in the man Christ Jesus. But being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself. And it makes me to know that no one can ever truly be like Jesus without becoming a servant nameless serving the path that leads to power the nameless girl in the bible gave the connection to save the life of naaman the nameless servant saw clouds the size of a man's hand nameless not to be known but to be unknown one pastor told me this week he said when i was a youth pastor i thought Let's make it fun for the kids, and then they'll come and enjoy themselves. And every event and every function, he made fun, and they loved it, and they said, you're the greatest. He said, and then when I moved up a little bit, I was with the younger adults. He said, I thought my job was, let me make it enticing for everybody, and then they'll come and they'll enjoy it. And he said, we worked real hard. And they came and they enjoyed it. And then he said, when I got into kind of a young married and adult ministry, he said, I did the same thing. He said, now that I'm a pastor, I've been doing something wrong for a long time. He said, I kept making it fun for everybody so they come. And I found out nobody is serving. There are entire churches where no one is serving. There are tired congregations, no one serving. Let me, just, let me just act like the pastor. On Monday morning in this house, Maureen Perry, Tom Perry, brother and sister Lawson, make their way on Monday morning and they vacuum the carpet. <laughs> and they clean. Now they're not paid to be here, but they come to serve. You don't know that they came because they didn't take a picture of themselves. Uh-huh. Because if some of you walked in here, you take a picture of the Hoover. And you position it next to a flower. Maybe you'd pour a little water on your face so there'd be a little sweat, fake sweat dropping down. Just working for the kingdom. Let me tell you how this church got here. It didn't get here through cunning craftiness or intellectualism. It came through serving. The only way we succeed is when we become a servant. Not when we get a name. Thank God for all of our young people. It's a phenomenal thing to see young people serving God. Aren't we grateful for our young people and for our youth pastor and for our youth team? But every once in a while, there's a, there's a rally, there's a youth rally going on somewhere in our section in Bedford or Bloomington or, or Martinsville or wherever. And some of the youth rallies are hosted in churches and the churches might only have 150 seats in them. And so Pastor Andrew and I have talked about this and we've decided in some of those youth rallies, we don't want to bring our entire group and overwhelm them and act like we are somebody. And act like we're so good and just swarm the whole place and take over. We don't want to do that because we don't want to make a name for ourselves. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Hear me. When did we get hit in Christ? Why are we so seen? seen? We got to be nameless. We got to be servants of the Most High God. Oh. The death 
of the church is found when we desire to be known. And we go to great lanes to be known. This is what Paul wrote. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm crucified. He's a minister. He's a minister. Someone talked to me some time ago and said, I feel like the Lord's called me into the ministry. I said, really? You mean it took this long? Yes. They went on about the spiel. And I gave the patented answer. Let me just tell you, ministry means serving, taking care of. Ministry does not mean holding a microphone and telling people how to live. The whole church ought to be ministers. And if you think that you need a minister's license to do something more, you have no idea what ministry is. If it took baptizing your own convert in Jesus' name, sweeping the floor and mowing the grass, there'd be few ministers in every church. Nobody would have their minister's license. You know why? Because we think ministry is a professionalized sport or a professionalized job or a specific trait that only a few people have. These men and ladies up here are not the only ministers in the church. Everybody is a minister. Ministry means serving one another. Let me tell you, this choir is awesome and the preaching and the teaching is good, but the ministry of this church is just as important in that kitchen, in that room, as any place in this house. Don't think that you are better because you are here and not there. Somebody find me a broom. Is there a broom somewhere close? Where's the broom? Get me a broom and a dustpan. Uh, Tammy says I should not use props. I don't listen to her all the time. <laughs> I have a scripture for her. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. I'm going to tell you, I love all the things. Thank you. I already got it. Bring that other broom in here. It's awesome. I want two brooms. I want, I want all the brooms and all the dustpans. I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to stop acting like we're so good and we need to pick up a broom and we need to pick up some water and we need to wash the hands of people and we need to be servants in the kingdom of God. Nobody increases until they become a servant. I'll tell you how to be relatable. I'll tell you how to be relatable. Find the Windex. Find the toilet bowl cleaner. Man, this is a conference sermon right here. No, I'm going to tell you, I'm so counterculture. This is kingdom culture. I'll tell you what we ought to do. We ought to get on our, we ought to get on our knees and ask God to forgive us of arrogancy and thinking that we just come to enjoy. We should not think that the church is going to entertain us. I do not want to raise up a church who comes to be entertained. I want to raise up a people who want to serve. on where are the servants of the most high God Jesus made himself of no reputation 
Here's the scripture. Here it is. This is awesome. I want to prop every Sunday. This is good. I can. This could devil. I could reach out and touch people. <laughs> That's like a sword and a shield right there. You ain't never been more prepared for battle till you got your dustpan and a broom in your hand. I'll tell you what you need to do. Put down your accolades. Put your phone down. Stop taking a picture of yourself. Stop trying to make a name for yourself. This is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about New Life Fellowship. This is about the kingdom and the lost. It's about the people that need help. I'll tell you what I'm tired of. I'm tired of professional Pentecostals who constantly want to be entertained and they want to move in the gifts and they want to exegete and have revelations, but they never wash hands of anybody. Because they're too good for that, you see. Because they've been serving the Lord too long to help anybody out. I'll tell you what, we do not need to have an organized plan for you to go tell somebody that you love them and that you're praying for them. You ought not to have a position that you need to have a a little desk or some kind of plaque to tell you that now it's time for you to go call somebody on the phone and love them and bring them something and help them. The church ought to serve one another. I'll tell you how we can grow. Serve one another and serve our community as Christ served us. That's right. I'm feeling great. If anybody wants to know, you got a phone? Do you have a phone? Come take a picture of me preaching. You and me, a selfie. Come over here, a selfie. You and me. Here's my notes and this here. Just come around here. Do this down here on the... Can you see the notes? Can you see the people? Hey. Post that. Post that. Put it under... Just doing the work of the Lord. Say, we're not worthy, but we're feeling anointed. Hashtag, what is Hashtag blessed. We're doing so good for God. Take a picture of me. Here's Paul. Are you ready? I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. You're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. Yet not I. Say it, yet not I. We're going to get back to yet not I. You ought to get yet not I, yet not I, yet not I, yet not I. If you did anything good, you ought to say yet not I, yet not I. Christ lives within me. And the life that I'm living in the flesh, I'm only living this way because I have faith in the Son of God. He loved me. He gave himself for me. I'm not done with yet not I. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand. But... Which also ye are saved, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to scripture, and that, here we go, that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then the twelve, 
After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. That's probably Acts 1-4. Of whom the greater part remain unto this present. Some have passed away. After that, he's going down the list. He was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also. I was born out of due time. But I'm the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I shouldn't even have this title. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Somebody say that. By the grace of God. (laughs) And his grace was bestowed upon me. It was not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all. Uh Uh-oh. Yet not I. I was working. But the grace of God, which was with me, he helped me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. Here's the last verse in NIV. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. It didn't matter who preached it as long as you believe the truth. Yet not I as long as believe the truth. I don't want anyone taking credit for saving anybody. You did not save anybody. You're, let me, you're not responsible for anyone's salvation. The best you did was just show them what was already written in the book and if you ever post how many people you're responsible for in the church then you've got a long way to go to get to Calvary that was good come take another picture this was good this was good I want you to take a picture of this part because this is a really anointed part and I like this because this is what all the people do you know they're taking a picture of themselves here here take a picture take it mostly of yourself take a picture of yourself do you have another phone over there is there any other phones is there a phone over here come on get another phone can you get a phone stop acting like you don't have a phone can you do you have a phone do you have a camera come over brother brown i want you to take a picture of us taking a picture of us and just can you put on there humbled get over there Because we know all the things to do. We know when to bow our heads and when to clap and be solemn. I'm going to tell you what. There's going to come a time when people are going to walk in here. They won't know what to do because they're not professional. They're not professional Pentecostals. And they're going to say, I want to do whatever you're doing. And if you don't have this in your hand and this in your hand, you'll raise up another generation who think it's all about them. It is not about us. It's about Jesus. And you got to say, yet not I, yet not I, nameless, 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 nameless. Stand with me now. I want somebody to walk by you at the office or at the work. And I want someone in the school. And I don't even want you to introduce yourself. I just want you to say the Lord is going to help you. It's all by the grace of God. It's all by the mercy of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if nobody actually knew our name? Because we always talked about Jesus. But I'm afraid... There's less talk about him and more self-accolades for us. Hear me, young people, all the young people. Hear me, young people. 
I need some young men and young women who would dedicate 20 days of the next year to clean the church. Not consecutive days, maybe just three times a month or four times a month. Maybe two times a month. I want you to make a list, a time when you can come in and clean the church and give, give. Derek, do they all have your phone number? Derek's going to give you his personal cell phone number. Pam, where are you, Pam Hooper Garner? Come over here, Pam. We're praying for servants tonight. We got Holy Ghost. We got doctrine. We got music, shouting, choir. We're praying for servants. Come over here, Pam. Come over here. Look at your army of servants right here, ready to serve. They're ready to serve. Come up here. You can't even see them all. Come up here. Look at them. Look at the beautiful servants out there. We're going to serve the kingdom. Listen, you don't need a name. You just need to wash the hands of somebody. Look at him. You know why you're here? You know why we got here? I'm going I'm to introduce you to the man who helped get us here. And to the lady that helped get us here. Here's the man that helped get us here. You know why you've got a seat? Hey, everybody. You know why we're in this house? Because these are the men. Here they are. There's the mother right there. Mary fell. She kept the faith. And the church should have closed a long time ago. But she kept the faith. Let me, let me tell you about names of people. Janet Jenkins. Say it with me. Janet Jenkins. Remember this. JJ. Yes. She gave of her tithes, her offerings, and her time. And made sure all the flowers were clipped. And all the weeds were pulled. Janet Jenkins. She's passed away now. But she used to sit on that side and worship God. And she always came to Wednesday night church. Because she didn't think what everyone else thinks. That you can just have a one. A one time experience. Uh oh. I'm looking for people. Who want to serve the kingdom of God. Servants. I'd rather. Listen. I thank the Lord for this man. I thank God for his sweet wife. I thank him for his children and the dedication that he gives to the church. He works a full-time job outside the church and still pours in all kinds of time in the church because he's a servant. He's a servant. Where are the servants, the nameless people? Come, nameless people. I want to dedicate my life to the Lord. I want to dedicate my time to God. Where are you? I need, and I can't just have the children, the young people. There's children all, we want to raise them up to serve. But I want all the young people to be serving. But I want you to serve too. All the men and the ladies to serve. We've got to serve. If you want to be a servant, come to the front. Abandon your pew and stand here. You can't kneel. You, there's, not, there's not room to kneel. You've got to stand up. You've got to stand up and come close. And you've got to come all the way close. You've got to come close. Come here, Brother Huttiger. Come here. Stay right there, Brother Heiss. Come here, Brother Huttiger. Brother Huttiger was my father's assistant pastor. Brother Huttiger and Sister Huttiger, they came from the Asbury Methodist Church. I was 12 years old, and they came, and, and they came to the Pentecostal Church. And Brother Huttiger was an elder in the Asbury Methodist Church. He was a servant in his old church.
And when he came to the Pentecostal church, he was a servant in his new church. And he assisted my father for many years until he started several of his own churches. And then when the Lord moved him on, then he came here and he serves me. I didn't ask him to serve me, but he serves us. Because when you want to talk late after the service is over and want to visit, you know, and you don't have enough money to go to Applebee's, so you date on the first pew. <laughs> yeah, I know what's going on there. That's what they're doing. A cheap date. <laughs> That's all right. He's staying after so he can turn the lights off after you leave. And if anyone is praying until midnight, he'll wait for you because he's a servant. He won't give up on you. If we want to pray here all night long, Brother Huttiger will stay here because he's a servant. Come on, new life. I looked back in the archives and I found this. I had to do the research because I heard it and it, it struck me. About 15 years ago, my dad and I went to a symposium and Brother Bernard was teaching the symposium and he listed all the church names of the early 1900s and the mid-1900s and the church names used to be called after their street name. Anybody remember the street name church? White Way was a street. Can anyone shout out a street name? 13th and Washington, that was the church name. Home Avenue was a church name. Huh? That's right. 20th and Linden. These are church names. 13th and Gravoy. That was a church name. Northside. That was a that was a church name. They didn't have individual names, cool, fancy names. They named their churches after their streets. They were obscure. Brother Bernard listed all the, the names of churches. They were obscure. They were kind of hidden. They really weren't trying to make a name for themselves. The name of the church was the location of it. This is the greatest time in our church history. Do you know why? We took down our church sign. Nobody knows what we're doing here. It was, it was really by default. You know, we, we, we just had to take it down because we had built this thing. But nobody knows. If you're walking in here, you've got to be drawn to the Spirit. And when they come, would you please serve everybody who walks in here? Love them. Wash their hands. Hug them. Tell them we love you. We're so glad. What can we do for you? greatest time in our churches right now so now we're going to just dedicate our hearts collectively to the Lord and and just individually we're going to pray God help me Lord I want to be hidden in you come on somebody ought to say not I yet not I but thou you live yet not me but you live come on let's pray right now Jesus our focus is on you now Lord help us to get a hold of that servant mentality Help the church become a body of serving people, serving people.